looking at encouragement. We have seen that we are... We need to pray for the kids. Okay. We're going to encourage them by praying for the kids, first of all, so they can go on to to their... Uh, to their classes and uh, uh, Larry would would you Anderson would you pray for the kids for us please sir Amen. You may be dismissed. and <clears throat> That's why you need to pray for Kelvin back. <sighs> we are learning about encouraging one another. <clears throat> the church is uh, told in Hebrews 10, 19-25, and it's a very wonderful exhortation there about growing in faith, hope, and love. It's similar to what Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians 1. And he says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some. This is first century. Already had people deciding that they were, you know, forsake, that assembling together was not important. He says, But encouraging one another and all the day, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now for the the recipients of Hebrews, it was 70 A.D. Okay, that's what it was about. It was about the destruction of Jerusalem. They didn't know it would be in 70 A.D. They just knew it was future to them in the not too distant future. But what are they supposed to do? By interpretation, it has to do with 70 A.D. and the fall of Jerusalem. But by application, anytime you can see a prophetic event, getting ready to happen, then we are supposed to encourage one another because it's so easy to fall away during those times. There are times of pressure. Now, when the church responds properly, times of pressure builds the church. You can track this all the way through the book of Acts. And the church was being persecuted and persecuted, and it says, and they were growing in numbers. And they were growing in numbers. Where you find the church being persecuted, normally you find them growing. Oftentimes, they kind of view it as if you're getting persecutions because you're over the target. If you're getting some flack, it's because you're spreading the gospel. And those people on that back wall back there, I, I would hope you'd get familiar with them a little bit. Because they serve under circumstances that are so much more difficult than, than what we are doing. Uh, we just had a good friend of ours that uh, uh, works in India. And he just conducted three foundation seminars. They were one-day seminars. And they were all in highly persecuted areas of a state that was not highly persecuted not too many years ago. That's because of the, the government and what they are trying to do. But encouraging one another, it says. So it's not just teaching them the word. It is teaching the word, but it is encouraging people to do as Barnabas taught other people to stay true to the Lord during these times because it is so easy to fall away now we have been looking at various elements of encouraging one another the fact that it is so important what it means to encourage this parakaleo to call alongside 
Okay, there's a place for leadership in the church. There's a place for kind of following up on the rear. But this word is call somebody alongside. You need to be headed in the right direction in order to call somebody alongside you. Don't get so far out in front of them they can't see you. Don't try and push them from behind. Call them alongside and walk along this path of life with them. And that happens by developing relationships with one another. We are called to a relationship with the living God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's kind of where this all started. We went through a whole lot of classes to show how we interconnect with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what are the, what are the applications to everyday life? And we looked at bearing one another's burdens. How when someone's caught in a trespass and they need some help, we as Christians are supposed to step up and be willing to help. And now, how do we encourage people either to get on the right track or to stay on the right track? How do we do that? And so that's part of what we've been uh, not analyzing so much as talking about over the last few weeks. And uh, that's where we're going to be today. So part of encouraging one another, a big part of it is prayer. If you know somebody that needs encouraging, and if you don't know anybody that needs encouraging, pray about it. And then you'll start seeing them. Because everybody out there needs some kind of encouragement somewhere along the line, along the way. So encourage them, encouraging them, and this is part of what we're looking at is some of the techniques. Let's take just a moment for prayer because, as mentioned, prayer is part of encouraging other people. Not just whenever we're looking for people to encourage or they're looking for us. We need to stay in front of the throne of grace. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your test. We thank you for your opportunities. Father, we pray that that indeed you will help us to, to learn today. We pray the Holy Spirit will challenge us, pray that he will convict us where we need it, that we might be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray, amen. Now, understanding encouragement, one of the first point is the power of a well-timed word. Words are important, and you might notice that the, uh, uh, the left, the Marxist group, has hijacked words. They have done it through the news media. They've done it through the newspapers. They've taken words that meant one thing 20 years ago and turned them around to mean something else. And as a result, they have bred confusion. And that's what Marxists do. That's how they take over. They they breed confusion. And how better way to breed confusion than by mixing up what the words mean. Simple things like the, the word gay meant happy. When I was growing up, developed a whole other meaning now in today's culture. And so they hijack it and they say, well, you can't say those words. Because if you say those words, we're going to cancel you. Or we're going to do something else. Back when the pandemic was in full swing, you could get canceled real fast by a lot of people just for saying, maybe they need to do more research on the vaccines. Now... What is a well-timed word about? All through the scripture. And let's go John 1.1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Word is logos. Logos means that it has a definition behind the word that is being used. 
a lot of us probably had to suffer through uh, Jabberwocky, memorizing that for English lit somewhere a long time ago. And the sad thing about those, you can't ever get them out of your head. Twas brillig in the slithy toes, did gyre and jimble in the wave. There's not one word in the whole poem as we know it. But it sounded good. And so what you have is a bunch of stuff that rhymes that makes no sense whatsoever, otherwise known as the news media today. So they, they, they start messing with the meanings of the word, yet the word logos... The Greek word, and it looks at the content of what does this thing mean? What does the word agape mean? The content is what is important. It goes, it goes behind it, the definitions. The Bible's got a lot to say about words and the power of a well-timed word. Book of Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 12.25, anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. This isn't all New Testament, see. Encouragement goes all the way back. Proverbs 15.4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16.24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Uh, Proverbs 25:11, like apples of gold and settings of silver, is a word spoken in the right circumstances. Proverbs 25:20, like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. James 3 verses 5 and 6, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. In this mouth are words of life and words of death. In this, in this mouth and coming out of this are words that can encourage people. Words that can discourage people. So our words are important. And they must be carefully selected. We must understand that encouragement basically involves careful selection of words that are intended to influence another person meaningfully toward godliness. That's where we want to encourage them. Sometimes encouragement comes in all forms, but sometimes encouragement is to do the wrong stuff. Peer pressure starts back in high school and there's encouragement to do the wrong things. It goes along with it. But Christians are supposed to encourage people to do the right things. The right stuff is defined by Scripture. Shallow words, you know, like small talk. Frequently, isn't that what we do is we make small talk. We're looking for words to say and we run out of small talk to talk about. Shallow words, though, are those that lack concern or not of truth. They're just, you're not paying attention, don't care what somebody's got to say or better yet, we're thinking about what we're going to say when they shut up. I know nobody in here has ever done that. I heard a joke about a pastor one time. He says, oh, here comes old George. Lord, Lord, I'm not talking about that George back there. Here comes George. 
Oh, Lord, take care of George. And George walks up and she says, George, I've been praying for you. They haven't been praying for him at all until they saw him coming that way. Those are shallow words. <laughs> they, they really lack compassion. They lack care. That's not the way we should be. Death words, when we speak to them, destroy a motivation toward godliness. That Proverbs 18.1. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. I can't tell you how many people I've counseled over the years that are still carrying around stuff from something that maybe mom or dad or a coach or teacher or somebody said to them 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and they're still hauling this this thing around. And we can see the impact that our words have on other people because we can see the impact they've had on us. By the same token, whenever we've had a mom and dad teacher, whenever we've had someone infuse encouragement we remember those because it kept us going the right direction those are the kind of words we want but they just oftentimes don't come automatically it's not something that we can always just make up on the fly now if you're praying for wisdom before you go into a conversation no matter what the conversation is about You can let the Holy Spirit show you what to say. He's the one. Don't try to make up a list of cue cards. Say, wait a minute, I need to encourage you. Uh, Oh, okay. This is... (laughs) Pull out a list. Helen had a book that that was so cute. What to say when you don't know what to say. Yeah, it's one of those things of suggestions. And are you going to go through, well, if this circumstance exists, you can say this thing. Well, all that book is good for is it gives you a lot of ideas, but the Holy Spirit in the heat of the moment is the one that you need to call on and not what you memorized out of some book. Because if it is just rote memorization that's coming out of your mouth, it's shallow. It lacks the connection that we need. Life words are those designed to build and maintain a motiva- motivation toward godliness. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul writes... Whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all. We're commanded, as we know, to encourage one another. Now, surface community is an obstacle to encouragement. Because a lot of times at surface community, we're just, we've all got layers. I know nobody would ever admit to it. We think we're the most open, warm people that ever walked the planet Earth. But we put up walls. We put up protective walls. Kind of like that old uh, toothpaste that they had. That protective layer of stuff over your teeth that goes up there. We put those up to protect ourselves. Well, that can actually kind of stop relationship. It can happen with husband and wife. It can happen with a family. When we start putting up walls to protect ourselves. Now we, as an encourager, and some will have the gift and they'll be able to do it better than anybody else and it's just because God has gifted them in that way. As an encourager, we want to figure out how do we get through these walls that people have. Uh, As as a pastor, you're a a pastor over those allotted to your charge, the people you influence. You, in effect, are a pastor. People that come to you for help, 
then you want to know, how can I help them? Lord, I need help. And he hears the prayer. That's a prayer for wisdom. And so, how does he answer it? Sometimes you don't have a word. That's the answer. (laughs) Don't say anything. Just listen. Listen to what people have to say. Because sometimes, when stuff comes out of people's mouths, they go, that was really stupid. They don't say that after they said it, but somewhere in their soul out there, that was a really stupid thing that I just said. And they self-correct. You want to be able to get through the walls and the layers. Now, when one person is not listening, that's surface community. Okay. Whenever we're talking to one another, we need to look at each other, turn toward each other, not try to turn away. I, I was turning away from people and I was talking to them at one time and Helen said, stop turning away from people. I said, I can't hear them. I, I was turning away for a good reason because I was trying to get where I could get, get my good ear up there so I could hear what they were saying. And she said, they, don't, they think you don't care. And I said, oh. So then I'm trying to figure out how I can look directly at them and still hear what they're saying. And she said, you need a hearing aid. And we argued about that for 30 years. But anyway. <clears throat> being able to, to look at somebody. Address them. Be able to look them in the eye. And, and speak truth. And to listen. There is an art of listening. Sometimes we need to say, I understood that you to say this. Is this what you're really saying? To find out if you really heard them correctly or not. Sometimes that's part of who we are and what we do. But when we're just not listening to each other, there's no converse, there's no conversation. There's a dialogue. And we as Christians need to be able to get past that. Now the core emotion of fear must be overcome to get past surface immunity. Community. If I'm trying to help somebody, I have a fear that maybe I won't be able to help. Okay, and if somebody has come and asked for something, they've got a fear that maybe they don't want to hear what need they need to hear. And so you got fear speaking to fear. That's not good. You got to find a way to get through the fear and address the fear along the way. Now, where does this go back to? Genesis 3.10. Lord God's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam, where are you? Well, because I was afraid, I hid myself. And we've been doing the same thing. Sometimes we just don't want to hear what we need to hear. And so as one who is going to encourage other people, we've got to get through this, this fear layer. And sometimes it's like an onion. It is layers deep. You peel one layer off, and there's another layer, and there's another layer. And it needs to be overcome to get past this surface community. Your core motivation to try and help somebody or encourage somebody should be geared toward the two key goals. We know those two goals are love God and love one another. So when you want to talk to somebody, encourage somebody along the way, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of Jesus Christ. You want to encourage them to stay true to the Lord like Barnabas did in those churches. 
to stay true to the Lord in the middle of a crooked and perverted generation. That's what you want to do. Sometimes your very presence encourages people to do that. Sometimes as a pastor, sometimes people get afraid of me as a pastor. Well, are you coming as a pastor or a friend? Well, I'm coming as a friend. Okay, let's try that. <laughs> See how that works. Occasionally, you've got to come as a pastor, but more often than not, you come, you come as a friend. Because hopefully, that's what you are. The shepherd knows his sheep. That's what's supposed to happen. Now, <clears throat> what do we do? Address the fear. What are you afraid of? What, what really rocks you? Sometimes, it's just communication with people you just don't know. Some people can talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime. Other people can't do that. So who, where's the biggest fear coming from? If I can't talk to anybody, it's coming from me. I should be able to. And honestly, it kind of comes and goes. Sometimes I think I can talk to anybody, anywhere, and other times I find out I can't. And sometimes it's just me. But when I do, I want to infuse in them something good. Whenever I speak a word fitting for the need of the moment. The core motivation, the two key goals, to love God and love your neighbor. The core strategy has to become to learn how to meet them. And so you pray that you can't. We're all called to encourage one another. It's just like the spiritual gifts. They're, they're fascinating because everybody is called to do all the things that the permanent spiritual gifts have, have laid out. We're all supposed to be a shepherd to those allotted to our charge. Some hold the office, but we're all called to care for other people. We're called to serve one another, all of us, but some have the gift. We're called to all be givers, but some have the gift of giving. We're called to encourage one another, but some have the gift of encouragement. Some people just seem to do it naturally or they do it of the Holy Spirit is what they actually do. Some people are able to just do that, but we're all called to do it. So this is to be a part of our toolkit, if you will, as we try to minister to other people. Now, <clears throat> pray that the Holy Spirit, when you get in a conversation, will make you attentive to other people. If you do this regularly and on a regular basis, it will help as we go through the cares of this world and the trials of life. Lord, help me to be an encourager to others today. Now, total openness may not be the right solution. Because sometimes when we're talking and the surface community is there, then there's a tendency to go the other direction and be just totally open with people. And sometimes it'll just scare the fire out of them. Okay? And you may not want to be totally open with everybody. Some people can say what they think just pops right out of there, but they don't think about what they say first. <laughs> and it does more damage than it, than, it, than it does good. We need to learn how to get through the layers that we find in ourselves and in other people. And this means we have to be willing to risk exposure because... What if we don't say the right thing? What if we say the wrong thing? What if they want an, an argument? What if, they, if that's where, where it leads? How do we handle these things? Again, as I mentioned first, prayer is where it, where it all goes. You, you pray for opportunities to serve the Lord by serving other people. He'll provide. 
You pray, Lord, I need some encouragement today. He'll provide. But you don't make that your goal in life for you to get encouraged. You make it your goal for you to encourage. So frequently when people get into these little uh, caves, if you will, and want to become a cave dweller, it's because they will not. They don't want to reach out and help other people. They want everything coming their direction. It's not all going to come our direction. And if it did, we'd get tired of it. Because it's the wrong motivation, wrong goal, wrong strategy. It wouldn't. It's not going to last. So the best way to deal with things, it's like the husband and wife is having trouble. The husband needs to figure out how to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's what the book says, right? Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, Ephesians 5.22, submit yourselves to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Oh, isn't that interesting? Let's see. Wives are naturally submissive. Their, their sin nature makes them a naturally submissive individual. Is that true or false? We know the answer to that one, right? All the men will answer that one. Now all the women. (laughs) Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, is that come natural to a man? What did the first man do? That woman (laughs) that you gave me, she gave me from that tree and I ate. His answer, I ate, was one word in the Hebrew. One word. Not a phrase, not a sentence. One word. Yeah, I did it. He finally got around to admitting his own guilt. But that's what we we tend to protect. And that's not the way real good relationships are, are made. We have to risk exposure to one another and be willing to risk it. Now, being open with others doesn't mean we become exhibitionists. That's not what we want. We're not being open with others trying to say, oh, see how open that person is? That's a quest for significance. Okay? We don't need that, do we? The Lord gave us all the significance we need. And sometimes it's a quest for security. Being totally open with other people and maybe you'll accept me even though I'm weird as it gets. And we can all say even though I'm as weird as as it gets because we all got our areas of weirdness in there. Now, if you want a real personal fulfillment, it's not about what other people think of you. It's about what God thinks of you. 1 John 3, 1 to 3, see how great a love the Father has. Consider it. Stop. Think about it. That He would even love us. See how great a love the Father has. That He would make us like, like Him so we could actually look on Christ. Now, the real solution is total commitment. Real commitment is the right solution. And it starts with the husband and wife. It extends to the family. And we become committed to one another. That's what we are called to do. And it begins with being able to treat people as people. Specifically, being willing to listen to one another. Uh... I don't know, some of us probably heard along the way children should be seen and not heard. Maybe along the way. Actually, they should be heard too. 
We need to spend the time training up a child according to his way, literally is what the Hebrew says. In other words, that, that is a call to know your child well enough to know that certain things motivate them and certain things don't. Know what, know what gets through to them. Uh, Glenhaven Youth Ranch said it was an interesting thing. By the time the kids came out there, he said some of the, some of the kids, um, and that they were able back then to do corporal punishment and administer spankings and stuff like that, and they were able to do that. And he said some of the kids come from homes that are so broken, unless they get a spanking once a week, they don't feel they're loved. And you have to break that cycle out of them because that's the way that they... That's the way that they were raised. They were abused in the process. Now, <clears throat> realize the protective layers that we have can block out the words that are going to help. And Paul instructs us to understand. He wants us to be able to understand fears people have, defenses that they put up, and the needs to become committed. And what are we called to do? Share to help fit those needs. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, as for building us up, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. We've been through multiple times the different commands and principles taught by one another. And one of which is, Building up one another, encouraging one another, serving one another. We've been through those. But see, it's about one another. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, the Lord says, it says there, consider others more important than yourselves. Now see, that's not usually the way we, we work, is it? He says, not only looking out for your own interests, verse 4, but for the interest of other people. It doesn't mean we become a busybody and go in and prying, looking for something to go tell the next person with a juicy bit of gossip. We're not to be reporters for the National Enquirer. That's not what we're supposed to do. But what we are supposed to do is care enough about people to be willing to help whenever they have a, a time of, of need. Philippians 2.5, have this attitude in yourselves. It was also in Christ Jesus. Now that's 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 a tough tough duty. He was sacrificial. He was humble, and he was unselfish. Because he left heaven for us. That's about as unselfish as it gets. To enter into a hostile environment, to pay a debt we couldn't pay. That's unselfish. That's humble. It said he humbled himself by becoming a man. Even though he exists in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to. But he humbled himself and took on the form of a bondservant. That's who he was. And he was sacrificial. He gave himself up on a cross for us. Now, if we want to, as husbands, love our wife as Christ loved the church, we must be unselfish. We must be humble. And we must be sacrificial. That's who we are called to be now <clears throat> sometimes we might wonder who's going to encourage us 
Because when we get ready to help other people, sometimes we get down ourselves. Saying, I've been an encourager. Somebody needs to encourage me. We have to learn the difference here between an objective and a desire. We might have a desire to get someone to encourage us. That's a valid desire. We should have. But don't make it an objective. Because if we set out to unfold our life on other people so they'll offer us a word of encouragement, then we've set out for the wrong reason. And how long will that encouragement last? Maybe a little bit, but it's not going to last long, is it? And then we're going to be looking for encouragement from somebody else, from some other place, in another way or in another manner. We can make it our objective to love other people and to encourage them. Our desire, and that's fulfilling the second greatest commandment, and that's something that can lead to a very fulfilling life along the way. An objective is a purpose to which a person is committed. It's something we want, and a desire is something wanted that can't be obtained without the cooperation of another person. So we don't we, we look to the Lord number one. Some of the passages we've been through already says in the upper room the night before the cross, I will send you another comforter. That's our parkletos, that's our encourager. And it's another one like him. The Lord Himself was an encourager. And he said, I'm gonna send you a Holy Spirit. He'll be your encourager now. So we have really all the encouragement we should ever need, don't we? On the inside of us is the Spirit of God already. So if we go to Him first, maybe we would need quite so much ourselves from the outside. The character of an encourager involves learning to do what doesn't come naturally. There are some people that just seem to encourage along the way and it does come naturally. <clears throat> and I think those are believers with the gift of encouragement like Barnabas. These are people that just, they see somebody that needs some help, they're drawn to them, and they seem to always have the right word for the need of the moment. Nothing they've practiced, nothing that they have memorized uh, responses to, but they just seem to always have the right word for the need of the moment. Kind of like somebody with the gift of mercy. We're supposed to all show mercy. But some people, God brings, brings them people to be able to help in time of need. An encourager's motivation should be nothing but pure. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. <clears throat> Paul's writing the Corinthian church. This is the chapter where they go after duly established authority. And he says, Therefore do not <coughs> go on passing judgment before the time. Because the Corinthian church was standing in judgment of the Apostle Paul. He says, Wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So, they're going after Paul. Isn't it easy to criticize people? Does anybody in here have the gift of criticism? 
Um, well, some say, well, it's a gift of discernment. If it's coming your way, it's criticism. <laughs> if it's going the other way, it's discernment. There is a gift of discerning of spirits, but that that's kind of gone by the wayside. So it's interesting how some of those temporary gifts we're going to dredge back up whenever we don't need need to do that. But it's so easy to find somebody else to judge, is it not? Does the sin nature do that, or does the spirit do that? Who is the judge? Simplest answer, not me. <laughs> That's the simplest answer. The right answer is the Lord is the judge of all. And what's he going to do? 2 Corinthians 5.10 One day we'll all stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ to be recompensed for our deeds in the body, whether they're good and acceptable or whether they're worthless. Yeah, the Lord is the, is the judge. So... <clears throat> He's, and that's what Paul is telling the church at Corinth. He said, there's one judge here, and you better get ready for that. You can judge me all you want to judge me. That doesn't say we're not supposed to make decisions. In fact, some people uh, with the uh, Clintons back a long time ago, they said the most familiar verse that people knew at that point in time was, judge not lest you be judged. Okay. <clears throat> and so people said, well, I'm not going to judge anything, anyone, anywhere, anytime. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, Don't you know we're going to judge angels? Can't you figure out the simplest things on this planet? There's some things that we need to be able to judge, but we need to judge it with a righteous judgment. Oftentimes it's just preferences that we have, and that is going in, that shades into legalisms. Now, <clears throat> if it becomes a goal to impress somebody with your caring heart, it's not the true function of an encourager. Some people decide they're going to be an encourager and think, oh, this is one of my coping mechanisms. This is how I can this is how I can make friends with a whole lot of people. I'll show them how caring I am. If you're not really caring on the inside, it'll come through. It'll come through. Ministry to others should become more important than whether or not our desires are met. The natural tendency is to become dependent rather than dependable. So you'll face times when there's seemingly no one to encourage you but God. You ever run into that? A feeling like nobody cares about me or who I am? I've, I've had such an outpouring of grace. Can't say that. You guys have been there for me. Friends across the country, around the world. No way I can say I've been alone. But sometimes, if you let yourself, it's easy to think that. Psalm 142 is for those times. And it says, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. 
See where this openness needs to start? With us and God. Don't We don't need to be like Adam trying to hide. I declare my trouble before him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you did know my path. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There's no one who regards me. There's no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. And I cried out to the Lord, O Lord. I said, You are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry. For I am brought low. Deliver me from my persecutors. For they're too strong for me. Bring my soul out of prison. So that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me. Look at the psalmist here. He is open with the Lord. And he's not hiding it. Because oftentimes we really want to try to fool the Lord. He is not foolable. He just is not. Didn't we used to recite a verse, a lot of us, a long time ago? The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a critic of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God, the Lord himself, knows if we're playing games. So one of the great things about David, was he didn't play games with him. He was able to open up his soul and say, I am a mess and I need fixing. And he did it. We need to maintain our commitment to minister to others, even when others might be severely failing us in ministry. If you are in ministry, you're going to have disappointments. You're going to have people that are going to disappoint you. Uh, You're going to have people that are going to encourage you. You're going to have a whole gamut of things if you are involved in ministry. And by the way, you don't hire a minister. You hire someone to teach you how to minister. That's in Ephesians chapter 4. Those gifts are given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. That's what pastors, overseers, elders are supposed to do to equip others to pass on to the next generation those things that are so important in the Word of God. Now, when do we decide to tell someone how we feel? When does it reach that that point that we're going to tell somebody how we feel? Well, when you decide to let the Holy Spirit use you to encourage other people, it's probably going to accentuate your yearnings for encouragement to come your way. And sometimes you're going to make it a goal to encourage somebody and they're not going to be encouraged. There are some people that just, their walls, their fences are way too high and they are, they're not going to let you through. So what do you do? You give them to the Holy Spirit. Because it's called the sword of the Spirit. It's not the sword of your tongue. But that's what we think it is. And you let the sword of the Spirit do it. But for us, it's kind of peeling it away a layer at a time. How can you use me, Lord, to get through? And it's always interesting to say, to see, and especially for a pastor. I had one of the deacons a long time ago after we started said, you really need to do a... Uh, study on prayer I said well 
we just did that for the last six months. <laughs> what would you like me to do again? <clears throat> and then you start teaching something, and, and somebody comes up to you and says, Charles Stanley said, <laughs> and you go, and you go, and he said exactly what I said, but they're presenting it like they never heard it before. <laughs> and you're going, uh, and as a young pastor, it, I'll tell you, it was real easy to get upset, jealousy, envy, any kind of thing. And then finally you went, praise the Lord, they got it. <laughs> you know, two witnesses, three witnesses to establish a fact. They needed to hear from somebody else. There it is. We'll praise the Lord together that they finally understood the point. Now, <clears throat> what should you do when the opportunity arises to encourage somebody who irritates the fire out of you? Because <clears throat> there will be people like that all along the way. There are tests along the way. But we still back off, give it to the Lord, and say, Lord, how can you use me to positively influence them? There's some basic strategies that are used for handling emotions that we run into. <clears throat> They're fancy names. Some of, one of them is repression. And uh, that just means we're trying to hide. Repression means we're trying to be something we're not. We're trying to be smarter than we really are. We're just trying to put, put together a false front. We also know it as hypocrisy. And so, how do we handle our emotions? Sometimes we just stuff them. Uh, sometimes there's an indiscriminate expression. And it, actually, that's just blurting it out. That's when it just pops through and comes on out and, and we haven't thought about what we're going to say or how it's said or what the efficacy of the uh, com uh, comments are. But really, we should acknowledge with a purposeful expression. When we run into emotional situations ourselves, go first to God like Psalm 142. And then we ask for discernment when we're getting ready to ask somebody else for help. I've seen absolute uh, destruction of churches by people just... Uh, an indiscriminate expression. And they get ready. They're going to confess their sins to one another. I saw this happen to a church. And it was the pastor deciding he's going to be open and honest and everything. And they have a prayer meeting going on. And he took James 5.16 out of context of confessing your sins to one another. And he just went in front of the congregation and and uh, including his wife, and said he'd been having an affair. How did that go over? Because the wife didn't even know about it till that moment in time. That was an indiscriminate expression. And it tore the church apart. Tore the church apart. He should have dealt with the problem first and talked to a few elder statesmen, if you will about what to do. He should have been the one that brought it to them. And uh, anyway, it tore it apart. Because if, if the surface community, if you're not careful, trying to get through it can become a fractured community and harm a lot of people and send them in a lot of different directions. 
Of utmost importance is to surrender to the Holy Spirit in the area of encouraging one another. Encouragement is don't wait till it just feels right. Or until you find just the right moment to encourage. But rely on the Holy Spirit and let Him lead you. The question is, are we willing? Not are we qualified. Are we willing? Because the Holy Spirit picks up the slack in those areas. So we as Christians need to encourage one another. We come together. And it's it's such a, a joy whenever we have a... a we, that's why we have the 30-minute break. We thought about shrinking it, and I know I went over this morning, first session, so it was only a 20-minute break that we had. But we leave, it, we leave it there so we can talk to each other and get to know each other. And, uh, you know, some of the folks are getting together for lunch uh, and talking and visiting, and that's wonderful because a church is supposed to be a group of Christians fellowshipping with one another that are being taught and then they are carrying this teaching out and living it. That's what a church is. That's what we are called to do. And that's what we need as we see the day approaching to do all the more of. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your mercy and love. We thank you for your word that speaks to us through the ages, that speaks through our fears, our anxieties, that speaks through our layers. And Father, I pray that it will have done just that this morning. And that the Holy Spirit will take this and we use it so that we might indeed be encouragers like Barnabas that will encourage other people to walk alongside as we follow our Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.